Hey y'all, this is Dale Selby in Dallas, Texas, and you are listening to my dogs, Jason and Dee, and the best podcast anywhere. Surely you can't be serious. Booma! Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to the podcast that is automatic, it's systematic, it's hydromatic. Why it's the Surely You Can't Be Serious podcast covering the soundtrack of Greece. You know, we go together like Ramalama, a little ding a ding a ding a dong. This podcast is supreme. It'll make the girls scream. Scream. Ah, yes. Radio edit. Thank you very much. She's a real dragon wagon. (laughs) (laughs) Ladies and gentlemen, we are here to talk to you about the songs of the movie Greece. Yeah, today we're going to be talking about the soundtrack, which is vitally important to the success of the movie. Guys, if this is the first time you have tuned in, this is the second in our set of episodes. The first, we covered the movie itself, and now we're covering the soundtrack. So if you haven't heard that first episode, be sure and go back and check that one out. But today, we're talking only songs. We avoided it last week, and now we get to dive into the songs. So here's the thing, D. There's 20 three songs on this album that's a lot of songs that's a lot of songs and for us we try to keep this around an hour or so we don't have that much i mean that's like two minutes a song that's not we're gonna have to burn through these so (laughs) if you're like man they're barely grazing the surface on these songs well you know there's a lot of songs yeah exactly okay d so for the soundtrack for greece we have to give a shout out to the executive producer of this particular episode mr chris weber chris weber thank you chris weber guys if you want to be an executive producer for one of our episodes it's so easy you just go over to patreon.com backslash shirley podcast and for as little as five bucks like i can't even get starbucks for my 12 year old for less than five bucks you can have access to all of our secret hidden Patreon episodes where we cover the one-hit wonders of the 80s and beyond. we got tons of them out there now. We really have a library of great stuff for you to listen to. Go check us out over there. So we truly appreciate you, Chris. We appreciate you, all of our other Patreon family. Thank you guys so much. Those episodes are some of our most fun episodes to do. So I love those. Tune in. Hey, by the way, I want to give a quick shout out to our good friend, Melissa Mingle, who came on and did the Duran Duran episode with us that we did two years ago, I think. Yeah, spoke a little French for us. I loved it. I know. She's getting ready to move to Colorado Springs. What? So we're going to be missing her, but I think she's going to try and squeeze in a Patreon episode with us on Kajagugu. Too shy. Oh, perfect Duran Duran tie-in. I know, right? Fantastic. So, and I know she loves Greece. So, shout out Melissa and Mark as they're leaving us. But uh, hopefully, we can uh, do something before you go. Yeah. Okay, D. Before we dive into the songs, I just want to give you an overview of how big an album this was in 1978. Okay. Here's the top four albums from 1978. You ready for this? Yes. Okay, number four, somebody we have talked about on the Surely You Can't Be Serious podcast before. We didn't cover this album, but Billy Joel's The Stranger is number four for 1978. Fantastic album. Okay. Number three is Rumors by Fleetwood Mac. Uh, Iconic. I mean, huge selling album, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah. One of the mammoth ones, yes. One of the best selling albums of all time comes in third place. Number two is Grease, which we're covering today. And number one from 1978, of course, is... Saturday Night Fever, baby. Oh, wow. It's still it's still in there. It's still going. Yeah, it is. That makes sense. So Saturday Night Fever is number one and Grease is number two. Yeah. So two John Travolta movie soundtracks beat out rumors. Yeah, that's right. That's nuts. Both RSO records. I think uh, Robert Stigwood made some money in 1978. Probably so. Probably Goodness a little bit. gracious. 
One more quick note for you, D, on the Grease soundtrack. Two of the bass players, as in played bass on this album. <laughs> okay. Not, not first bass and second bass? Not second bass, not third bass. David Hungate, does that name ring a bell to you? Yes. And Steve Lukather. Played the bass? Yeah, he did. What? Yep. Studio musicians of the 70s. Yep, that's right. Wow. The best. Yeah. Toto. Fantastic. All right. Are you ready to dive in track by track? Tell me about it, stud. <laughs> <laughs> All right, the first song right out of the gate is the title track called Grease. All right, so for a movie about the 50s, this is not a 50s-sounding song. Well, yeah, that's because uh, Robert Stigwood called his good buddy, Mr. Barry Gibb, and said, Barry, I need a title song for this this musical I'm doing. Yeah, so they're on fire still with the number one soundtrack, like you've said, so what did he say? Okay, so this is a great story. So Robert Stigwood decides, I need a title song for this musical. And of course, I mean, we've already talked about how Grease was all a musical. They had songs already lined up, and Robert Stigwood's like, no, I need something more. I need to punch it up. So he calls his good buddy, Barry Gibb, who is scorching hot at this moment. And he says, Barry, I need a title track for this musical I'm doing. It's called Grease. And Barry Gibb's like, let me write a song called Grease. He's like, I can't write a song called, I mean, what is that? And Robert Stig was like, oh, you know, just write Grease, da-da-da, da-da-da, whatever, <laughs> you know? And Barry Gibbs like, man, Grease. That's quite a word, Grease. So he hangs up the phone. And an hour later, he calls back and he says, what do you think about Grease is the word? Grease is the word. Robert Stig was like, sound good to me, man. You're the musician. Let's go with it. <laughs> it's funny because in the musical and in the movie, they never actually say the word grease. I know. They don't say it the whole time. And so you've got, how do I make a song about a word that is the title, but is not referenced at all in this? Now, obviously you've got the greasers, you know, and so you've got that kind of grease and you've got the car engines. So you've got that kind of grease. Sure. But you know what this movie was called in Mexico, right? Vaselina. The Vaselina. <laughs> so that's really the sexual innuendo that they're going for in the movie. And that's the kind of grease that the song should have been about. But I think that what he did with it is brilliant. So here's the interesting thing. They got Frankie Valley, you know, former 50s heartthrob, to sing this song. Yeah. Frankie Valley had been the lead singer for the four seasons. So you got... Sherry baby And then Big Girls Don't Cry Walk Like a Man Oh What a Night I mean just a ton Oh What a Night There you go Just before this Like 1974 He had had a solo hit With a song called My Eyes Adored You Interesting How would he I, I wonder if he had any idea That this random song That he's doing For this random movie Based on a musical Is going to be His final number one hit well, so here's the deal. They offered him, they said, do you want to do Beauty School Dropout where you'll appear in the movie mm -hmm. or do you want to sing the title track? He's like, that's a no-brainer. The music is what lives forever, not, right. not the movie. Nice. And so he's like, I'll sing the title track. Yeah, and so they didn't know where to put the song in the movie and then they had that they had done this cartoon because this initially they had talked about this being a completely animated movie and so there was a big production done for the animation which you get in the beginning but they had a different song for it they put the grease music over that and they're like wow it fits it's, perfectly it's like it was written to it yeah pretty incredible by the way frankie valley was not on a record label at the time uh-huh so robert sig was like no problem we'll put your single on rso 
My gosh, this guy. Yeah. Here's the interesting tidbit about this song. The director of the movie, Randall Kleisner, he hated this song. He hated this song because it was too 70s. Yeah. He wanted everything to sound 50s. And so he fought for a song written by Paul Williams and Charles Fox. Are we talking about Rainbow Connection, Paul's Williams? Yeah, Lil Enos. Wow. Lil Enos and Charles Fox, who wrote the Happy Days theme song. Perfect. I mean, yeah. I mean, I, that, I, I would probably back him. It had, had I not had hindsight to look back on, I would have been like, guys, he's right. Let Paul Williams, musical genius, let the guy who wrote the Happy Days themes, let them give us the theme to the song. And yet, you would be wrong. Yeah. Because this went on to be a number one hit, August of 1978. Quick run through the top four. Sure. Number four, Boogie Oogie Oogie by Taste of Honey. Okay. Number three, Miss You by Rolling Stones. Okay, yeah. Three Times a Lady by the Commodores, number yeah. two. Yeah. And then, of course, Grease. I cannot help but think of Buckwheat when you say, three times a maybe. <laughs> by the way, Peter Frampton is playing guitar on this song. Oh, wow. Barry Gibb is singing background vocals. And, of course, we I mentioned before, this is not in the play at all. Written specifically for the movie. All right, next song on the album is a song called Summer Nights. Summer loving had me a blast. So this is, I mean, number one, magical song. Yeah. But just to throw this back, so this this is really our kind of introduction of the two characters. They're kind of introducing themselves, and you've got this great back and forth of guy's perspective versus girl's perspective. But you have to think for just a second, this original musical, Sandy wasn't from Australia. Right. What? And so you have to go, well, how did these two not know each other and not know that they would end up in the same high school together? Well, in the original musical, Sandy Dombowski was of Polish Catholic descent, and she went to a private school. She went to a Catholic school. And so when he met her, Danny lied and said he went to Lake Forest in Chicago. (laughs) And so when they end up together, it's still a big surprise, but it's because she's just moved into the public school from the private school, and he's been there the whole time. Once again, I don't really understand the fact that Sandy doesn't bother to call him when her change, her plans change, right? Dude, this was the 50s, man. People didn't pass out numbers. They you didn't just have hung out telephone with her on the numbers. Beach. No, not. It's a different time, man. Okay. All right. So, obviously, this was written for the play when it moved to Broadway. In the original stage play, the song here was called Foster Beach. But that little tidbit. All right. Blow your socks off of that. Go. Foster Beach. Yeah. Now, then, here's one thing I found on this. When Riz says in the song, because he sounds like a drag, almost certainly the stage play had a slur inserted right there. Really? Yeah. Okay. I love this song. You get the, the guys in the bleachers, and they're bebopping, and they're combing their hair, and telling uh, you know the sexual locker room type of stories, and she's telling the girls how sweet he was, and how, how loving, and the girls are like, oh, does he have a car? Did he spend a lot of money on you? And the guys are like, oh, did she get busy? You know, what's the deal? <laughs> so, have you heard of Noches de Verano by Angelica Maria and Raul Vale? I have not. Let's have a listen now. Interesting. This would be great, I think, for your wife's Spanish class. (laughs) (laughs) 
That's right. Everyone translate uh, the songs right here. So this song reached number one in the Mexican charts in 1979. Wow. That's higher than the American version. (laughs) I know. The American version reached number five as a single, not 100. Perfect. How about that? Great song. Love the song. At, at the end, you have this big, high falsetto from John Travolta. Oh, it clinches it because yeah. you're expecting him to stay in that same chest voice that he's had the whole song. And he drills it up all the way to meet her. Like, he's singing maybe higher than she is. They are after it, man. Oh, and he does he does the point to the sky in that blend of the two scenes. Oh, it's movie magic. It's great, and it's so 70s. I love it. Okay, next song on the album is a song called Hopelessly Devoted to You. Now, I told you, when I listen to this song, it's all kinds of country to me. You got that steel guitar. I mean, it, and you said it didn't really seem like that to you. Well, I just have it stuck in time for the summer of 78 on every radio station that was Hot 100, you know. Well, I told you that Olivia Newton-John had done country music sure. like before this, right? Right. This was actually on the country chart, her first top 20 hit in like two years. Interesting. Yep. So this song was written specifically for the movie. This is the one we talked about last week was written halfway through the filming of this movie. Yeah, they had to come back and refilm the scene. That's why she's all by herself out on the back porch, you know, mooning at the moon or whatever. It's just... Mooning at the moon. <laughs> pining at the moon? I don't know. That's okay. Um, cut all that. <laughs> she's out just out there on the back porch by herself. Yeah. You know, longing for her man. Yeah, definitely. So this song was written by John Furrer. This is the same guy who wrote Have You Never Been Mellow and Magic, some of her biggest hits. Right. She had it in her contract that she had to have a solo, and they got done filming. They're like, whoops, where's Olivia's solo? Yeah, I mean, I, she did kind of do a little bit of a solo for her reprise of Sandy Sandra D, but... Not really a... Not really a full song. And so they said, okay, well, write something, get yeah. after it. And so they came up with this nominated for an Oscar best original song. Yeah. I mean, you get an album full of hits and they come up with this on the fly and it is turns out to be the best performing as far as awards go of all of the songs. I love this song. This reached number three in the Hot 100 1978. This to me screams summer of 1978. I was old enough to remember 1978. I know you were not, but that's okay. By the way, the song that beat it out for best uh, original song for the Oscar? Yeah. Last Dance by Donna Summer, which we've talked about before. All right. In the play, this is where the song It's Raining on Prom Night goes. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll talk about that song here in just a minute. Yes, we will. So I said they just churned this out, but Farrer actually said, I spent the longest period writing the lyrics of any song I've ever written this song. Said every thesaurus and every rhyming, di- rhyming dictionary I had just trying to really make it work properly. Really? Yeah. Well, he nailed it. This is a beautiful song. Oh, I love gorgeous. it. gorgeous. And she delivers it so well. The whisper softness of her voice is, I mean, it's just going to melt any 
art. By the way, when John Travolta spoke at the Oscars in 2023, after Olivia Newton-John had passed away, he said, quote, they've touched our hearts, they've made us shine, and they become dear friends that we will always remain hopelessly devoted to. Moving on to maybe the most important, biggest song in the album. This song is called, You're the One That I Want. defy you not to tap your toes and bob your head when this song comes on. When this song comes on and you're at a wedding, <laughs> there are any theater people there, they are running to the dance floor. That's it. And then there's going to be a back and forth between the guys and the girls as they do all of the choreographed moves together. It and the yodeling. <laughs> so we talked about the best award performing song with the last song. This one is also brand new for the album. It's also by John Farrer, and this is one of the greatest selling singles of all time. Yeah, it's like still like the number one karaoke song in Mexico or something like that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, let's talk about the movie for a second. When Slutty Sandy comes out, it is jaw dropping. Shocker. I don't care who you are. If you're not impacted emotionally by that scene, I mean, it is such a punch in the face when I first saw it. And it's so much fun, right? And she's like, listen, dude, I need a man. You better get your crap together. And he's like, I better get my crap together. So Randall Kleisner is filming the drive-in scenes, right? And it's at this point that they've finally put her in the costume. They're not about to shoot the scene, obviously, but they want to see how it's going to look. And he's in the middle of filming all of these drive-in parts. And all of a sudden there's this big commotion <laughs> and he sees this woman with this big hair coming out and he does it. He's like, who is that? What's going on? What come? What? Why is this lady here causing all this trouble? <laughs> oh yeah, it was her. It, she looked so different. Yeah. She said, you know what? As soon as I got out of the trailer and people started to pay special attention to me, people that I saw every day, people that I hung out with, my friends, she's like, clearly I've been doing something wrong my entire life. <laughs> right. And it's awesome. She looks amazing. All right. This song reached number one on the Hot 100 that summer. It was the second single. Here's the thing. It was written specifically for the movie. The stage play has the song called Kiss It in this spot. The Broadway play has a song called All Choked Up. But when they added You're the One That I Want into the movie, basically every musical ever since then plays this song. Obviously. I mean, obviously. Yeah, it's no brainer. And again, Randall Kleisner didn't like the way that this fit in with the other songs. He was not happy with this song. Okay. Anything else to say about this gangbuster song? Best part of the movie. Yeah, it's revelatory. I did, I, I mentioned to Brock, we, Brock and I had lunch today, my 18-year-old, and he, he loves the music from this. But he's like, it does kind of bother me that she has to go and put on the slutty clothes in order to get the man at the end of this. I'm like, really? He's like... Well, no, not really. But, <laughs> I'm supposed but, to say that. <laughs> but it, it does seem like wrong. You know, if you're a parent, you wouldn't want, you know, the kid to think, oh, I got to go dress slutty in order to get the man. And I'm like, I really feel like, they're, number one, this is just goofing. Like, this movie is just supposed to be fun. It is. It's, it's so, so fun. It's not so to be some big social commentary. This is about 
you know, hanging out and racing cars and getting laid. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> that's, what, that's what every girl exactly. and boy wants to hear about. You know, we don't, this is not, she's not pressured into sex or anything like that. She just dressed in some tight pants. Put on some lipstick. Who fonted her hair That's right. And you and I both agree that they didn't run out to the car in the backseat and she'd lose her virginity right off the bat. She just wanted to dazzle him and she did it. Yeah. Sandy. Sandy. <laughs> Tell me about it. Stop. Okay. Great song. I hate to be done with it so fast, but we got to move on. Yeah. Okay. Next song on the album is a song called Sandy. Stranded at the drive-in. Branded a fool. What will they say? Monday at school. Stranded at the drive-in. So this is the point where the audience members start chucking tomatoes at me. I don't really like this song. This is, I mean, of all of the mega hits on this one, and the fact that it was released as a single is surprising to me. This is a skipper for me. I, I mean, wow. I, yeah, I just don't. It, eh, meh. Okay, well, we've taken a step down from the big hitters. Yeah. But I still like it. It's still fun. It's it's not a cranker, you know? But listen to the creation of this song. I love the story of this, okay? Yeah. So after John Travolta learned that they were having to come up with a solo for Olivia Newton-John to fulfill her contract, he's like, well, I want a solo too, guys. Make me one, right? So he went to Alan Carr and said, I want a song of my own. Write me a song. So Alan Carr goes to this guy named Louis St. Louis. I love this name, right? We're gonna, he's going to come up here in just a minute. That's right. And they say, hey, we need a song. Write us a song. So he's like, crap, i got to write a song like instantly because they're getting ready to do this. So he got together with Screaming Scott Simon of Shanana. We'll talk about that here in a second. So he's sitting in a car and he's like, oh, man, okay, we've got to write a song. Okay, what are we doing here? Okay. And he comes up with Stranded at the Drive-In, Branded a Fool, What Will They Say Monday at School. He's like, oh, yeah, that's good. That's good. I got it. So he races back to the hotel, writes the song in 20 minutes. Okay, the next day, first thing in the morning, 730 in the morning, shows up at Alan Carr's office, says, here it is. What do you think? Alan Carr looks at it, listens, likes it, approves it. 1030 a.m., he takes it to the like the music producer. He okays it. Then Robert Stigwood at 1 p.m., he okays it. Then John Travolta at 4 p.m., he approves it. Four days later, he had a $10,000 check. Like Two days later, he had a new navy blue Honda Prelude. <laughs> One week later, they filmed the scene. It was fast. I mean, it was super quick. Getting it written, recorded, filmed, all within about a week. Plus, he had a new car. Oh, By the way, this is the spot in the film where Alone at the Drive-In Movie goes. Yeah. That's an instrumental that we'll talk about here in just a second. Yep. Yeah, so Louis St. Louis yeah. has had quite a bit of stuff done. He he's, was considerable. He just passed away a couple years ago. Okay. But he was the composer of the song Hold Me Close to You, which was featured in All the Right Movies. 1983. Really? Yeah. Tom Cruise, Leah Thompson? There you go. Craig T. Nelson? Leah Thompson. <laughs> <laughs> All right. D, take the needle off the record. Take the record off carefully. Flip it over because you don't want to scratch it. <laughs> Side two of the record. And the first song is called Beauty School Dropout. Your story sad to tell. A teenage ne'er do well. So this song features Frankie Avalon. Yes. Big heartthrob of the 1950s and 60s. Beach blanket bingo. A lot of stuff with Annette Funicello. Uh-huh. Uh, it was originally, they offered it to Elvis to come sing this part. Yes, that's right. 
and he turned it down. Now, that becomes poignant here in a little bit when we talk about Sandra D. Right. Because Elvis did make an appearance in the song, but there's more to the story. Okay, we'll get to that here in just a second. But like you said, this was offered to Elvis. It was also offered to Frankie Valley. Yep. who said, no, I'd rather do the title song. When they filmed this, Frankie Avalon was 40 years old, Yep. but he was still heartthrob to these girls, yeah, these I young mean, women. For girls who were born in who were born in like the late 40s, which these girls were, uh-huh. he was their teen heartthrob. Their teen crush, right? Yeah. So I thought this was funny. As he's sort of acting out this part, he's on the white stairs, and they're all doing their little dance routine. They had pillows on the ground because he's scared of heights, and just in case he slipped and fell. <laughs> <laughs> Pillows on the ground. (laughs) Right. (laughs) By the way, in Grease Live, I thought this was cool. Boys to Men sings this song to Carly Rae Jepsen. Wow. (laughs) Pretty cool, right? Yes, it's great. This is, I think, where Frenchie is on display. She all she does is act with her face and her eyes and her her emotions. She was so in love with Frankie Avalon, she did not have to act. She's so cute in this. Pink hair. With her pink hair, yeah. And you got the boys at the end dressed as angels. Said that uh, they were, they didn't mind having fun, but that the cords that they used to hold them up and ratchet them in were a little tight on the crotch. <laughs> as you know, if you've ever been in those harnesses, it's a nut squeezer. By the way, did you know that Didi Khan refused to change her hair color for the final scene in Greece? Yeah, it was supposed to be a blue, like a cotton candy blue right like it had gone from cotton candy pink to cotton candy blue but she's like guys this is supposed to be fun this is going to be a distraction if i'm out there with blue hair let's make me a blonde and that because blondes have fun right and actually dinah manoff stands in for where she was supposed to buy the cotton candy because she didn't want to do that yeah okay all right next song on the album is called look at me i'm sandra d Okay, so this is Rizzo's big song. Well, one of the two, yeah, for sure. Right. Mentioned in our first episode on Greece that there there was a death of not one, but two icons of the 50s and 60s in relationship to this song. Right, right. Tell me. So Tell me about it, there's, stud. There's, there's, yeah. There was an actor in the original stage production, original musical, there's an actor named Sal Mineo. Okay. Sal Mineo Jr. Okay. okay, yeah. If you've seen Rebel Without a Cause... Yeah. He of the three people, he's not James Dean and he's not <laughs> Nat- Natalie Wood. Like he's the right. he's the troubled youth that's hanging out with them, right? And not Thurston Howell the third. Right. <laughs> and I showed you his picture. He is absolutely the spitting image of Daniel Russo, right? I mean, he is Ralph Macchio one hundred percent. Looks exactly like him. Could have Dead been ringer. His illegitimate father for sure. Yeah. He had done quite a few shows and he was in the midst of rehearsing for a play called P.S. Your Cat is Dead, okay? Okay. This is out in West Hollywood. Yeah. He comes home from rehearsals. He's parks in the parking garage, walking to his house, and out of nowhere, this guy appears, stabs him straight in the heart, and leaves him for dead. What? Yep. His neighbors come to help him. They're like, okay, let's get you up. And as soon as they lift him up, it he drops 
stone cold dead. The guy who killed him was this uh, guy named Lionel Ray Williams, who was a pizza delivery guy who would just go around and rob people. He got sentenced to 57 years for this murder and several robberies, but ended up getting paroled after just 12 years. Got parole in 1990. Don't know what happened to him since then. Just be careful when you order Domino's, okay? Wow. So this happens in 76. They're making preparations and this and filming in 77, and they've got this whole lyric that's devoted to this actor. So they're like, we got to change that. This is awkward. So what they do instead is they've got that picture of Elvis. She's singing to Elvis, concerned about his pelvis. They're filming the scene. As it turns out, they film the scene on the exact day Elvis dies. What? That is unbelievable. It's crazy. Elvis, Elvis, let me be. Keep your pelvis far from me. So this song also name checks Doris Day, Rock Hudson, Annette, which we can assume is Annette Funicello. Obviously. Troy Donahue, which we talked about that in our Godfather episode. Yep. He's the he's the awkward it, Godfather 2, the awkward new boyfriend of Talia Shire. I've got something for you. Yeah, tell me. All right. For 45 years now, I've always wondered what... Hey, Fongul, I'm Sandra D. Hey, Fongul, I'm Sandra D. Oh, yeah. I know what it means. This is the Americanized version of a, an Italian profanity. Vaffangule alune. Yes. F you to the moon. See, they told me it's go fornicate yourself in the posterior. Yeah, okay. Which is the equivalent of F you or F off. Yeah. Hey, F off. <laughs> I'm Sandra D. Yeah. Next song. Big song. This song is automatic, systematic. Hydromatic. This is Grease Lightning. Why it's Grease Lightning? So before we get going on how awesome this song is, <laughs> I just need to say for one of our true fans, Def Dave, song was supposed to be sung by the Beach Boys. What? Yeah, the I don't know how the Beach Boys were going to come into the mechanic shop that they had at the school or whatever, but the original plan was that the Beach Boys were going to come in and sing this song. I think you've got Dave's full attention at this I, moment. Well, can you just imagine this song being sang by them? Yes. Instead of, it's, the harmonies would be different, but they would be better, but just not the same. Not right. See, here's the weird thing that I learned when I'm studying this. This is Kanicki's big number. Yeah. Like, Kanicki is supposed to be singing It's Grease Lightning, which makes total sense. It's his car. It's his car. Right. And John Travolta's like, no, I'm taking this one. Yeah. He's like, that song sounds like a hit, and uh, it's my movie. Right. <laughs> you guys all have jobs because I'm here. Yeah, exactly. So I'm going to sing this one. Yeah. And he made some people mad, but what are you going to do? Suck a tit. <laughs> yeah. Robert Stigwood was like... John is the boss. Yeah. And of course, John got the director hired, so who do you think is going to decide with him? Exactly. This song was inspired by the 1959 Big Bopper song, White Lightning. And did you feel him with jug? Pass it around. Body, body, please. And my papa stone squeeze. It's cold. White Lightning. Definitely, they sound similar. Sure, it's got it's definitely got a Jerry Lee Lewis vibe to it as well. I have a little trouble with some of the lyrics on this one, <laughs> not the ones that were profane. Yeah, but the beginning of the song it talks about it being automatic, and then it talks about having four on the floor. Which is it, brother? You can't have both. Clearly, don't know anything about cars, <laughs> right? <laughs> During the filming of this, they grab some saran wrap and dance around the car and kind of rub it on their crotch. 
I don't know what that, what's that supposed to mean? What is that about? Well, <laughs> I guess they used to do that in the 50s, so I don't know. It was a misconception that you could use saran wrap as contraceptive. <laughs> there you go. And how many people were born because of that misconception, I wonder? It's possible a lot, yeah. yeah. By the way, you mentioned the profanities in this song. There are several, uh-huh. which... When this song was released as a single, it only made it to number 47, probably because there were a lot of radio stations that would not play the song. You mean they didn't have a cleaner version for the single? I guess not. Oh, wow. Have you seen the sleeve to this single? No. You remember the beginning of the, not the beginning of the movie where it's where it's Danny and Sandy on the beach, but like when we're coming to the high school for the first time and you see Danny for the first time talking to the girls and he turns around yeah. and he's got the cigarette in his mouth and that eating grin. Yep. That is the look that they have on the cover of the single. That's it. It's a great first shot, yeah. for sure. Great song, great fun, great point in the movie. One of the things Jeff Conway talks about is during the filming of Grease Lightning in the movie, they were supposed to be like carrying him and they accidentally dropped him. He hurt his back. Yeah. And supposedly that's when he got his first taste of painkillers. Ah. Uh. That became a lifelong affliction and an addiction to drugs. I mean, he really suffered a lot of years. Yeah. Eventually killing. Yeah. Okay. Moving on. Okay. The chicks will scream for the next song. <laughs> will they? <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> this song is called It's Raining on Prom Night. of butthead uh, what the hell is this crap <laughs> <laughs> oh you're quoting butthead on the grease soundtrack this huh? is terrible uh, hey amanda janik loves this song uh okay sorry amanda this, <laughs> i would like this song better if robert smith sang it wow <laughs> <laughs> this is terrible i like i heard this song and i'm like is this a joke is she gonna like bust out into great singing here in a second no she really just sings like this the whole time it's awful. Yeah. It's genuinely bad. I mean, the song is sappy, but you're saying you don't like her voice. I don't like her voice. The song actually probably could have been good. Like, if you'd had Olivia Newton-John singing this song, uh, I probably would have loved it. Well, there you go, yeah. But this uh, the this Cindy Bullens, mm, I'm out. Yep. So this goes in the spot where Hopelessly Devoted was supposed to be. Brilliant move there. Yep. And uh, it's actually played when Sandy and Danny are kind of trying to patch things up at the jukebox. Uh -huh. And he's like, hey, Sandy, I want to talk to you. And she's like, what about? She's playing this song from the jukebox in the diner. I see. Don't make me laugh. Uh, ha, ha, uh, ha. Uh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. This was written for the stage play. So I had to look her up. I'm yeah. like, is this legit? Is she actually a singer? Yes, she was actually a singer uh, for quite some time, sang backup for Elton John and for Rod Stewart. Yep. And then around 2012, she came out as transgender and has changed her name from Cindy Bullens to Sydney Bullens. There you go. All right, moving on. Okay, the next song is an instrumental called Alone at the Drive-In Movie. Snooze fest, hit the next song. What the heck? Yeah, let's let's do a quick drive-by on this one. This was written for the stage play. This is where Sandy, the song, fit 
in the movie. Sandy's much better song than this one, and you don't even like Sandy, so. Right. So this was composed by James Gadstoff for the 1972 Broadway version. Right. Moving on. Moving on. Okay. We're about to get knee deep in Shanana. Okay. Do you remember when Shanana had its own TV show? I used to watch the show a yeah. little bit. I didn't remember it until we came back to it and and you mentioned to me, which I had always misheard this lyric, but Bowser from Shanana is referenced by Fresh Prince in Parents Just Don't Understand. That's it. That's Bowser from Shanana. And if you see Bowser, you totally recognize him. He's this tall, gangly guy who has a great, goofy look to him. Um, and they've all got the, the greaser look. But Shanana was this band that was devoted to bringing back 50s songs or covering 50s That's it. songs, which they did in their variety show as well. But we've got several in a row on the album that is that are by them. They are also the band that is singing the songs at the dance in the movie. And we also talked about how one of the guys from Shanana helped Jim Ferrer write the song Sandy. Oh, okay. Yeah. So they're around. They're doing stuff. Yeah. Okay. So this song is called Blue Moon. Okay, so this song is an old song. It was written by Richard Rogers and Lorenz Hart for the movie Hollywood Party in 1934. Well, say what you will about that. There is no way I remember it from anything except American Werewolf from London and the Marcells were singing it. Three different versions of the same song in American Werewolf in London. Yeah. You have Bobby Vinton, Sam Cooke, and the Marcells. Yeah. By the way, this song has been covered by Billie Holiday, Elvis Presley, Dean Martin, The Supremes, New Edition, Duff Dave, and Cyndi Lauper. This is the last dance at the dance in the movie when they all moon the camera. Okay, the next Shanana song is called Rock and Roll is Here to Stay. So this song actually also came out in 1958 when the movie was supposed to be taking place. It was uh, by Danny and the Juniors, written by David White. It is exactly like their first hit, which was At The Hop. It sounds like the same song. Like every time this song starts, I'm like, At The Hop. Rocking and rolling, <laughs> get your rolling, At The Hop, Hop, Oh wait, wrong song. Yeah. It is literally the same exact music that they have just changed the lyrics to. And... Tragically, we've learned in the 21st century, you're wrong. Rock and roll is not here to stay. Yeah, it has died. <laughs> well, the heart of rock and roll is rarely beat. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. Hey, by the way, we talked about this when we did our Cujo Christine Dead Zone episode. We talked about Danny and the Juniors. This was featured in the movie Christine. Tragically, the lead singer of Danny and the Juniors killed himself. We talked about how death surrounded the movie Christine, and that's one of the stories we told them. Go back and check that episode out. So the next song on the album is called Those Magic Changes. So this song... Don't talk, like- D. Don't talk, D. I'm trying to count. <laughs> <laughs> this oh is the God. point in the movie where Duty and Frenchie are dancing and he's stomping around trying to, trying to dance, keep step. 
So this song is not an old song. This is a this is a Shanana song. I don't know if you remember last episode. I talked about how Jim Jacobs, when he first got a guitar, talked his parents into giving him a guitar. He learned like three chords, and the first song he ever wrote was "Those Magic Changes." Fantastic. There you go. Fantastic. All right. Next song is called "Hound Dog" by Shanana. You ain't no So now you might expect me to say this is an Elvis song. Right. But it turns out this was actually originally recorded by Big Mama Thornton back in 1952. It wasn't until later on that Elvis made it the hound dog. Elvis took it and made his own, and little Forrest Gump showed him how to dance. <laughs> <laughs> like what you're doing with your hips there. <laughs> Yes, so this song was written a long time ago, performed by Big Mama Thornton, but we know it as Elvis. By the way, you know who did the voice of Elvis for Horse Count? No. Kurt Russell. Are you serious? Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. Perfect. <laughs> Love right. it. Okay, so Hound Dog has been a song that has been fought over and battled with the, the royalties and the controversies and the rights to this song, and it's one of those where I think it's going to be in constant litigation. Which is pretty bad for one of the best-selling singles of all time. Wow. Yeah, that's a lot of money at stake. Yep. All right, now we could dive deep on Hound Dog, but we got to keep rolling. There's a lot of songs here. The next one is so important to the movie, though, we can't overlook it. This is Born to Hand Jive. Once again, I dare you not to move your hips and your feet to this song. So this is a little bit different than the original hand jive that I know. Okay. I know a cat named Way uh, Willie. That's the way that one starts. And this one's called Born to Hand Jive, which is still, I mean, it's the same music. So, so there have been a bunch of variations of the hand jive song, but all of them have the Bo Diddley beat. Dun, 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 dun. This one is a Shanana original, but it's key to the movie, right? Yeah. This is the fifth song at the dance. This is when things really start to take off. This is when Cha-Cha and Danny... Are tuning in Tokyo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. Uh, Patty Simcox gets her dress lifted over her head in this song. So a lot of stuff happening right here. <laughs> Crater face gets tapped out and he flips off Vince Fontaine. I wonder if that was before or after he put the aspirin in Marty's drink. Yeah. In a Coke. <laughs> I just picked up on that this time through. Yeah. All right. Next Shanana song is called Tears on My Pillow. Once again, we get another piece of gold from 1958. The original song was written, was written by Sylvester Bradford and Al Lewis and recorded by Little Anthony and the Imperials. And another great, great iconic song. The one thing I remember about the movie in regards to this song, this is where Blanche actually dances, the assistant to the secretary. <laughs> and world-class xylophone player. <laughs> By the way, covers of this song, not only do you have Shanana covering this song, but uh, in 1990, we had a cover by Little Miss Kylie Minogue. Majors. Got to number one on the UK singles chart. Really? Yeah. Michael Hutchins' ex-girlfriend, Kylie Minogue, and world-class babe herself. There you go. Okay. Next song is called Mooning. I spend my day. 
What do you got for me on this one? Uh, not much. So this is from the musical. It's not in the movie. This is when Roger, who actually, as I understand it, is the putsy character, and Jan actually sing. This is their big number. Mm. And this song was written by Louis St. Louis and Cindy Bullens. Not much on this one. I don't really like this one. I, this is a skipper for me. Yeah, another one that they are well-informed to have left it out of the movie. No doubt. And just replace it with the three guys actually mooning the camera. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, take the needle off the record. It's time to flip the record over to the last side, side four. We started off with Freddie, my love. This one is at least better. She sounds more like the, uh, I can't remember the group that did... Uh, leader of the pack. She sounds more like her okay. in this one, but it's still you know, not a song I'm going to come back to. Okay, so this was written for the 1971 musical. This is Marty's big number in the musical. If you remember, Marty is like dating all these Marines and she's like a pen pal and squirts perfume on her, her notes and stuff like that. Yeah. And so this is written to her pen pal, Marine, Freddie. Ah, Freddie, my love. Freddie, my love. Marty. Maraschino, like cherry. So this song largely came from the 1956 hit called Eddie My Love, which was by the Teen Queens. And Scott Miller, the guy who wrote it, said it was closely based to Eddie My Love, but also slightly parodying I Met Him on a Sunday by the Shirelles and Be My Baby by Ronnie Spector. Go back to our Dirty Dancing episode to hear the full story on Be My Baby. And what a story. Wow. Wow. All right, next song on the album is a song called Rock and Roll Party Queen. They cut this one from the movie, and that was the right call. <laughs> That's all I have to say about that. <laughs> this is from the musical. This was the song that Roger, who's the putsy character... And Duty sing. Mm-hmm. I mean, in the movie, Putsy and Duty are funny side characters. We don't need a number from them. No. Moving on. Moving on. Okay. This one's a biggie. Yeah, it is a biggie. This song is called There Are Worse Things I Could Do. There are worse things I could do Than go with a boy or two Even though the neighborhood thinks I'm trashy And no good, I suppose Okay, so this is sung by Stalker Channing. Yep. She willed this into the movie. Yeah. this They were going to cut this. Right. And she's like, no, this has to be in the movie. And this is honestly a good addition. This is, I, I think she made the right call. She's not a singer, doesn't have a singer's voice, but she delivers this song in an epic way. And it lets you know the heart of Rizzo and that she's suffering. You know, like yeah. she puts on a she puts on a front, but that she's suffering. So perfect call on her part. The song had to be in the movie. It's super important for her character, absolutely. And with a good singer, it's an incredibly good song. Uh, I, I mentioned to you that like my kids were familiar with a lot of these from Glee, um, and uh, the Santana character sings this song in Glee, and she knocks it out of the park. It's a good song. It's a good song. It's an important song. And it's very relevant to the story. Yeah. Okay. So the next song in the album is called Look at Me, I'm Sandra D. The Reprise. Look at me, there has 
This is actually sung by Olivia Newton-John. I like it better when Olivia Newton-John sings. <laughs> it's so sweet and sad, and she's self-reflective. And Goodbye to Sandra D. Good piano in the back, and leading you like a dog into what's coming next. Yeah, this is where we get the hint of what's coming, but we're not sure exactly what's going to come. By the way, I've got a little nugget for you on Sandy, the character. Okay, So we mentioned in the stage play, her name is Sandy Dombowski. Dombowski. In the movie, her name's Sandy Olson. Right. They needed to change her character from, you know, a Polish Catholic Chicago girl to an Australia girl. Yep. So they switched it to Olson. You know why they selected the name Olson? Tell me. Because when they were originally looking at the character for Sandy, they considered actress and Margaret. Okay. That's her given last name. Wow. Okay. That's it. All right. Good tidbit. That's and a deep Margaret cut. Olson. There you go. Nice. Okay. All right. Next song, Biggie. Been waiting the whole album to get here. <laughs> this song is called We Go Together. Wop, bop, blue, bop, wop, bam, boom. So this is what was playing when I picked up Brock for lunch today. And he's like, what are they? What are they? What are they? Shringa, ranga, ranga, danga, manga, banga. What is that? He loves the song. But he's like, I don't know what the heck they're saying right there. Chang, chang, changity, chang, chabop. I love this song. Oh, it's great. This is fun. This is a great. This The whole movie is just this fun experience. And this is the perfect fun song to put as the capper on the movie. Absolutely. So we go right from You're the One That I Want, which is blowing our socks off, yep. to We Go Together. This song is like a signature in the yearbook saying, Have a great summer. Let's be friends forever. Too good to be forgotten. True love always. You know, all that stupid yearbook crap. But it's it, it captures the tone of the last day of school and the fun, like when you're chucking your books out the door. I signed your crack. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> That's your <book> it. crap. <laughs> it's like the closing track for the album. And this is where they get in the car and they fly to heaven and she, she dies. <laughs> Such a baloney theory. <laughs> I also told that to Brock. He's like, That's stupid. <laughs> He's like, why would she have drowned? I was like, well, remember in the song, he's like, he saved her from drowning, and that's the hint. And he's like, still stupid. And I was like, yeah, it is. It's still stupid. They get in the car and they fly to the clouds. Yes, it's a fairy tale. Okay. It is a fairy tale. All right. This is such a fun moment, too, in the movie. Every character kind of, they've got their arms around each other. They're dancing. They're hugging. And it's everybody's friends, and you know, we'll be friends always, and no, they won't. Right. We know that Rizzo's going to be pregnant in six weeks, and that's how it's going to be. All my high school friends, you will be happy to know that I did stay cool. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. This, I mean, this should be the end of the album. It really should it be. It really should be the end of the album. Uh, but they had to, they needed length for the album, and so they had to tack another couple of songs on. So let's, let's hit those and then move on to Final Judgment. Robert Stigwood is not going to do one album when he could sell for two you know so next song on the album is an old song from the 50s again this song is called love is a many splendored thing
Okay, so we get this at the beginning when they're at the beach and everything's loves and hugs and kisses. It reminds me of that scene in Airplane where... It totally does. You know, Ted, Ted, when will you be back? I can't tell you that. It's classified. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, this won an Academy Award for the best original song in 1956 for the movie Love is a Mini Splendored Thing. Yep, written by Sammy Fain and lyrics by Paul... Paul Francis Webster, best performing version was a version by the Four Aces. Got it up to number two on the UK singles chart. Wow. It's been covered by Ben Crosby, Frank Sinatra, Shirley Bassey, Goldfinger, (laughs) Nat King Cole, and Barry Manilow. It's a good song. It's cheesy. It's corny. It adds that sort of corny tone at the beginning campy feel to yep. the movie yep for sure and then you get punched in the face with the title track Grease which also happens to be the, the very last song in the album it's a Grease reprise and I gotta say if you're not gonna end on We Go Together this is not a bad substitute it's, yeah, it's a great song Clear the album out as you began. I love it. Yeah, great song. Well, okay. So we started this discussion. It's interesting. When we originally talked about doing Grease, we talked about comparing it to the Rocky Horror Picture Show. Right. And it was going to be movie to movie, album to album. And we basically said it's so lopsided that it's not really even a fair comparison, right? Neither one of us really like Rocky Horror Picture Show. So what we didn't mention in our first episode, Barry Bostwick was the Danny character in the stage version of Greece after having done so well as the key guy in the Rocky Horror Picture Show. So there's a perfect tie in there, but again, it's just too lopsided. I mean, Rocky Horror Picture Show is, is a unique animal and we're going to find something to compare it to, but this was not the right movie. Right. Absolutely. But what we did decide to do was go, okay, let's compare the movie to the soundtrack because they're both Huge. Yeah, absolutely. So here we are. Final judgment. You got to pick one or the other. What do you say, Mr. Colvin? Okay. So I have a really strong relationship with this movie. I saw it in 1978 with my mom when I was a kindergartner. I saw it again when it came out in 1998 to theaters. We danced in the aisles. I mean, I'm not kidding. The people I was with were going bonkers for this movie. And I own the soundtrack. I love it. I love the songs on this. It's kind of an unfair fight because in the movie, you do get the songs as well. So for me, it's an easy call. I would take the movie every day of the week because you get John Travolta's incredible performance. You get Olivia Newton-John being America's Sweetheart. Plus, you get all of the songs and all of the fun and the humor and just the fun of the movie. And the soundtrack's got a lot of skippers. It's much like the Saturday Night Fever album we talked about. There's a lot of great songs. There's a lot of skippers. But in the movie, you get both. So I'm taking the movie every day of the week. So this one truly is, I mean, without the movie, the soundtrack isn't as good. Sure. And without the soundtrack, the movie isn't as good. So it is a very difficult comparison. But I think you kind of hit the nail in the head. With the soundtrack, you've got a lot of extra thrown in. That's a problematic, number one. Number two is, as I mentioned, this is all about fun. This music and this movie are all about fun. 
If you're having fun with the album, it's because you're thinking about the movie. If you're having fun out at a party or at a wedding because of the songs on this album, it's because you're recreating the dance moves and the moments from this movie. Without the movie, the soundtrack just isn't really a thing. And so I have to agree with you. It has to be a movie. I want to see the action. I want to I want to watch what happens, and I want you to take out all of that Cindy Mullins and Louis St. Louis garbage that's in there and just give me the good full stake of of the movie and soundtrack together i'm totally with you all right well there you go folks if you gotta pick who you gonna pick you gonna pick the movie my mother (laughs) (laughs) yeah so we want to hear from you do you love the movie do you love the soundtrack which song is your favorite which character is your favorite email us hit us up on facebook hit us up on twitter we want to hear from you d next week We've got something really special coming up. We've talked about it. We've teased it up. We're finally going to do it. Top five 80s movie vehicles. It is really, really hard. And I still don't know what my top five are. But we have decided that there are so many awesome vehicles out there. We're going to first do movies. Then we're going to cover TV. TV, Because you've got a whole other slew of cars that are associated there. And then we have given James Bond its own category because there are a million James Bond movies and every single one of them has an amazing car. Absolutely. So it's it's perfect. We're gonna have we're gonna have a slew of great episodes from this idea of top five vehicles. Come back next week. It's gonna be a lot of fun. Dad coming I forgot to mention that Margaret Travolta is in the movie. Margaret Travolta. John Travolta's sister, who was acting before he was acting, she was like, uh, she was, she was the Fonz's. Uh, interesting connection. She was the Fonz's and Chachi's like aunt or whatever. <laughs> and then she ended up playing like Scott Bayo's mom in Charles in Charge and some other TV show that was really shooting. yep. But she's one of the waitresses that's that's watching him on TV. She looks like John Travolta in a dress. She kind of does. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> 